to my mind this morning as I hear this, Galatians chapter 6, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. There's one more verse, but I'm not going to read it just yet because I want to ask you how you feel about yourself this morning. How's your sowing been going? And I didn't make that up. It just came out that way. How's your, how is your sowing? How do you feel about your, what you've been sowing? Have you been sowing to the flesh or have you been sowing to the spirit? Come on, give yourself a break. Say, I've been sowing to the spirit. Well, at least say, I've been trying, right? Haven't you? I mean, isn't that your effort? That's your goal? That's your, your, uh, your want? We've been sowing to the Spirit. Some of us have been sowing to the Spirit for a very, very long time. Planting, sowing, laboring, watering, weeding, and praying more. And Paul writes this, 6 verse 9 for us and says let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if all those ifs why do they put the ifs in if we do not lose heart that's really the crux of it right there isn't it it's that moment when it just looks like the race is too long when the distance is just out of reach when the goal that you've been aiming at for years evades you. It's painful. It's hard. You know, it's another mountain. We as a congregation, we've gone down some long, long, long roads together. A lot of us here have climbed those mountains together. And I believe that any time I made it to the top of one of those mountains, as part of this congregation, is because there were 10 people behind me pushing. I would have never made it on my own. You know, a couple last time I was here, I, I uh, shared that, or we shared a little picture about knowing that if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had help getting there. And that's, that's the life. You know, this morning coming to share with you, I was saying, Lord, why is it that you give some of us a mouth? And the only thing that really makes the mouth work, I mean, we, we stand here, you get to see the handsomeness of me. You know, the unfortunate view. But, but really, if we could close our eyes and see what happens in these moments, is that, that we're just the empty glove and the hand slips into us Amen. and Amen. manipulates and does his kingdom's purposes through us. There's no glory for the glove. Amen. It's the one that lives in us, that does what his will is and does his purpose through us and kindly uses us to advance his kingdom. And it's not just he alone. I mean, let's give God the glory that's due his name, amen. But not to take away from that, but I know that any time his hand slipped into my emptiness and my glove, it was because there were people praying him into me. Thank you. Bev. Gudrun. Shan. These, some of these long time prayer intercessors that no doubt on many days kneeling or sitting before the Lord said, God, if you don't help that kid, it's never going to make it. If you don't do something with him, we're never going to make it. Help him, push him, get him over the top. And, that, and yet, somebody gets to stand in front and lead. Pastor Rob, this is your calling. People are going to start sticking their hands in your glove, pushing you along. You won't make it on your own. We can't make it on our own. And it's not just about the pulpit that I'm talking this morning. It's the body of Christ. It's the body. One's an arm, one's an ear, one's an eye, one's a hand, one's a foot. But it's his body. 
And he's the one who fills us all in all. It's his life in us individually, yes, but not independently, as Americans would teach us, to live ruggedly independent lives separated from one another. It doesn't work that way. The body of Christ only works when it's connected and when it's hooked together and when the arm is helping the hand. And when the feet are carrying the body. And when the head's on straight and he is the head. None of us get to be the head. He's the head. Some of us get to be the mouth. But he is the head. So let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let's not give up. Let's not surrender. And therefore, verse 10 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Our brothers, our sisters. Now, those are words that aren't used a lot anymore. I mean, in the 60s and 70s, brother and sister was a big deal, but it wasn't about Christ. And earlier in uh, this century, the last century, brother and sister was a common designation for conversation in the body of Christ. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. We, didn't, you know, we hid behind it because we didn't know people's names. <laughs> hey, buckaroo. No, sorry. <clears throat> Those of you that know that little piece of humor. But truly, when we are born again by the Spirit of God and we're recreated, we get a brand new changed life. We're now connected. And I like the phrase that I heard last week somewhere. said, you know, you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. We're stuck with one another. So we might as well learn to love one another like the Bible says. To honor one another. Prefer one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? When, the, when they came to test Jesus and the lawyer said, what's the greatest commandment? If you're going to wear this, I have to throw it in every time I come to that passage. All the commandments were considered equal. There was no greatest commandment. And yet this teacher of the law throws this at Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, knowing man, thought, wow, what a buffoon. No. <laughs> Did I create that? No. That's not what God would say. It's definitely out of the text. said, well, he just responded to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. And the second one is just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I've used this Lots of times before, I hope I don't break it this time. hope not too much falls out. This will fall out for sure. But Jesus ended that saying, on these two commandments hangs all the law and all the prophets. For me, this has been a great illustration over the years that loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself, that's it. That's what Jesus came to bring us. Many of us are down here trying to live all this out, of course. Justifiably in many cases, but tell you what, keeping the law and the prophets isn't going to get you to heaven. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself will. Not excluding repentance, of course. You don't know me to the wall of my doctrinal errors here this morning. But this whole book hangs on those two things. I read something yesterday that just amazed me about the Trinity. You know, we, we teach and believe in the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Think of this. If God was just God and there was no triune God, He was just one, then He had to create man in order to begin loving. Which means that love was not inherent in God by himself. 
it needed something else. Therefore, a singular God would be incomplete. And I thought, oh my gosh, I never even considered that. But because God is Father and Son, fathers just love their sons. And the son becomes the object of the love and response. And then you have the Holy Spirit, who is the language and the breath of that love between those two. And so you get a perfect community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in power, glory, and honor. All God, yet one. Hard for us to get a concept on, but the whole... Trinity is working on the basis of loving the other constantly. Submitting to the other. Leading when it was the moment they, they would lead, the Father would lead, the Son would lead, the Spirit would lead. And he says to us, love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your spirit, all your strength. And then love your neighbor just like that. Boy, a lot of stuff would get solved overnight, wouldn't it? It's a challenge. And we're not to grow weary in doing good. We do, though. Anybody else? I mean, this is the end of the year message. It's been a long year. Kind of can't hardly wait for it to be over. In fact, we're going to start the new year by doing a wedding. My cousin Denny, right here. I thought, what a, what a great way for starting a new year. Doug and Denny, yes. Hebrews chapter 12. By the way, as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, part of what I was going to share today, though, I'll just throw this in for free is that studies are now being run that tell us about how much we use these. I dropped mine this morning over here against the wall. Zach was sitting there in the drums, and I said, man, can you believe that we actually drop computers now? We just throw them on the floor? Studies are showing us that you, not me, I'm not getting in on this, <laughs> use this probably, if, you, if you're used to using one, you probably use it twice as much as you think you do. The average person between 18 and 33, that's why I'm not getting in, <laughs> looks at their phone on average of once every 10 minutes. And you're going, I got that beat. <laughs> yeah. The average user of their phone these days is using it nearly five hours a day. It's about a third of your awake time, and you don't even know it. Like some of you were checking your Bibles while I started preaching, but I knew I hadn't given out a scripture yet. So it's not so much being busted, it's so much that you're not fooling me, you're fooling you. That you might be present in the room, but you're somewhere else in your lap. Be careful. Like that one little picture I've seen that says, you know, look up from, one of these days you're going to look up from your phone and your parents are going to be gone. <laughs> wow. Look up a little more often. Anyway, eight, yeah, once every, uh, once an hour, or once every 10 minutes, excuse me, about six times an hour, all day long. Some people's means 150 checks a day. And in 150 checks a day to the phone, making only three phone calls. <laughs> it's not a phone anymore. Making three phone calls, receiving six, maybe. Nine phone calls a day, tops for a telephone. The rest of it's everything else. So I saw you checking your Facebook while I was talking. <laughs> and I knew that you would be. And it doesn't bother me. I'm still in the room. Oh, hang on, let me check mine. Ah, wouldn't that be funny? Hebrews chapter 12. And now you can check your Facebook. Well, it looks like I'm, you're looking at your Bible. 
This is the New King James Version. I know there are lots. Therefore, and this, by the way, is a huge therefore in the Bible. It's like the one in Romans chapter 12. Anytime you see a therefore, you have to look ahead of it to find out what the therefore is there for. So this, therefore, is leaning back into chapter 11, which we'll come to in a moment, reading them backwards. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Each one of us has a race to run. For every one of us, it will take endurance. For every one of us, the prize will be given to those who finish the race. Is this what Jesus said? On the cross, it is finished. Paul the Apostle, I've run the race. I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is a crown laid up for me. I'm going to get my prize, he said. He said, but it's not just for me, it's for all of those, all of us who will do this. Run with endurance. Run with your strength laid into it. What helps us along the way is knowing that we have this great cloud of witnesses. Now, this passage, if you've heard it preached by others, you may have heard it this way, that it's like you're in the middle of a stadium and you're down on the track and you're ready to run your race and you're getting in the blocks and you're all set and you look up and here are all the people that have gone before you as Christians, as believers in Jesus, who have died and gone on to heaven and they're in the stands. And as the gun goes up and gets ready to pull, these people, all faith-believing in Jesus, people in the stands, jump to their feet and begin to cheer you on. Come on, you can do it. You can win. Run hard. Run with endurance. But that picture isn't big enough. I like that picture. I can see the L.A. Coliseum in my mind. 70,000 people jumping to their feet to cheer for you. Wow, that might make you run a little harder. That might inspire you. But when I studied this, and it said a great cloud of witnesses, it was talking about a specific kind of cloud. I'll get it wrong. It's not a, it's not a cumulus nimbus. It's not the big puffy white ones. It's the kind that when you get up and the whole sky is covered, I think it's like a stratus nimbus or something like that, right? That it covers the entire sky as far as you can see. That is the great cloud of witnesses. It's way bigger than a stadium. Because we have them, they're not just cheering us on, they are our examples, they are our vision. They are our hope that says, they did it, so can I. They were regular people. They weren't superheroes. They were regular people. They got out of bed in the morning and they put one leg in their pants just like I do before the other. Faith, for chapter 11, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're running a race where we cannot see the finish line. I don't know if you're, if you're like me at all, but for me, I run, I run, I run. I see the finish line and I think, here it comes. And, you know, I'm pressing out my chest. I'm ready to snap the thing. And God moves it. Like it just goes whoosh, another hundred yards out. And I think I was already tired from running as hard and fast as I could. And just as the tape was there, he said, we're not done yet. <laughs> Wait a minute. Time out. No, there's no time out in running, is there? You just keep running with endurance. Be smart. It's going to be longer than you think. Is that true? Jan, you thought Jesus had been here by now, right? Yeah. Wow. 
How do we run with endurance? Well, we have to lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us. They're different. Sins and weights are different. Sins are those things that offend God, right? We, we, all, we can all make our own list. Holy Spirit can help you with yours. <coughs> weights are unnecessary things. Unnecessary things. Imagine running your race in a bathrobe that you wore into the shower and it's all wet and it weighs from all the water and it's dripping and you take off running. Oh, by the way, you're in your Sorrells. <laughs> and you start to run and you clomp and the robe slaps around and wraps around your leg and then you take the next step with your Sorrells and this thing slaps around that side. Is that a way to run a race? No, you lay aside every weight that will ensnare you. Only you talking to Jesus in the leading of the Holy Spirit can discover what those weights are for you. Now, I, I, I'm not going to pin it on your phone, but let me just use it as an illustration. It used to be we could tell that, and it still happens, that the average person in America watches a, a three hours of television per day. I know that because when I was looking to recruit leaders, I knew that if I could just get one night of their time, I could get three hours. If I could get them to give up one night of television watching, I could get three hours of their time to help them become a leader in the kingdom of God. Now, we're spending five hours a day in here. Well, it's because this TV's in here now. And the YouTubes and the videos and the stuff and the Bibles and the, we got to keep the Bible in there so we feel good. <laughs> Five hours a day. I'm never going to get that phone out of your hand. Never. I can't. I thought about it this morning. I thought about during the offering. How painful it would be for us to say as the offering Bag goes by, place your cell phone in it. You'll get it back at the end of service. It's like, no. I could hear it in my heart, in my mind. No. We've made it a bodily appendage. It's right there at the end of our arm. The world hangs at the end of our arm, beckons to us all day long to know everything about everybody and everything that's going on everywhere in the world. I don't have that much in me to take care of the whole world. This is right there, pulling at us, talking to us, demanding our attention. Some of that may be a weight for you. Lay aside every sin and every weight so that you can run with endurance. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. What is that? He's gone, but his testimony lives on. His testimony of faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so they didn't, that he didn't see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have to run a race, the end of which we cannot see, in order to please God. He has enlisted us to run with endurance until... The end comes. The only way we can do that is by faith. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Warned of things not seen. In his case, a hundred years out, started building the boat. 
By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Go out to the place, excuse me, which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's the hard part of running the race, isn't it? I'm not really sure where it's taking me. I only know who is taking me. I'm only saying yes to the one who said run. Sometimes I go, which way? <laughs> that way. Okay, well, that takes faith to believe that he knows where I end up. He just asked me to run with endurance by faith. By faith, Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Do you have some promises from God? Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude. My goodness. That is huge. Innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Because one woman said, one regular lady said, I judge him faithful who promised. So I will do what he says. And I will conform to his will. And I will run with endurance his race that he set before me. You see, it's not your race. You don't own it. He puts you in it. There's a problem in the church. Not just this one, but in the church, the universal church, especially in the West. I pick on the West because we're pickable. In all the things that we have been taught and led to and screams at us on a daily basis that says be an individual, be independent, be yourself, do it your way, have it your way, or get a refund. We have become entitled. And we believe it's all about us. And it isn't. It's all about the cross. It's all about the one who gave his life for us and who says, now if you're going to follow me, come follow me daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. That's what he says. Die to yourself. Crucify yourself. You get to do it voluntarily every day. Today I choose to pick up my cross, impale myself on it and follow Christ. That's a big call. That's a huge call to discipleship and stewardship in the kingdom of God. And we were talking with some brothers the other day and not an uncommon conversation if you're with me and we start talking about sin. Sin isn't so much the name of what you did. I did this. Or God forgive me for that. And we name it. And I won't pick on any one particular. I might touch yours. God forgive me for doing this thing. Forgive me for acting this way. Those are all true. However, if you back it up into your heart, you know, quit putting it outside yourself. I did that thing over there. I said that word. I did that action. God forgive me for that thing. We kind of hold it out at the end of our arm. Bring it back into your heart. And say, what is it that caused me in that moment to dethrone God and make the choice to do something against his will? There's the problem that's inside. There's the, it's in there. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's pride. It's pride that says, I can do what God can do. I can make choices instead of him. I can set myself up as God just in this moment to do exactly what I want to do that I know is outside of his kingdom purpose. But just for a moment, I will. And for that moment, God, forgive me for dethroning you. I took you where I said you were Lord, and I said right now you can't be Lord. And when you do that, listen, it doesn't matter what's happening at the end of your arm or at the bottom of your feet or in your mind. You can't hold it far enough out to say it isn't yours and it isn't a heart problem. Now, we know the Bible says, just so I let the pressure off a little, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't say that to us to condemn us this morning. 
but to bring a reality check that says this race I'm running is not mine. It's his for me. And it's what he asks of me to run. And he gives me a cloud of witnesses that is, covers the sky to say, we did it too, you can. Come on, run with endurance. Don't give up. Why? Well, let's skip to the end of chapter 11. And I'd love to read the rest of them. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. And may I? Will you allow me? Just a few. And Shan and Gudrun and Bev. I just like picking on my girls. <laughs> you know, anytime you start a list of names, somebody's going to upset you left their name off. So forgive me. I'm just being punctual. We fit here. We're regular people that live by faith. I knew there was a coup. Who wants the next? No. <laughs> Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. You will obtain promises along the way. You will get, grasp victory upon victory as God gives you win after win on your walk with him. You will. That will encourage you. That will encourage me to say, you know, he's done it before. He can do it again. Last time it was this big, three inches tall. This time he's asking, I'm needing a promise that's six inches tall. Next time I need one that's a foot tall. God gets bigger and more powerful, more capable inside of me and my journey and your journey as we are faithful and endure. He doesn't diminish. He's God. They obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, all and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the, the promise. The promise. They received promises, but not the one they were looking for. God, having provided something better for us. Ooh, us. He just included us in the story for us them and you that they should not be made perfect apart from us why are they cheering us on why are they a great cloud of witness saying come on you can do it because they need us to finish our races too they want us to complete our endurance run Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We look to Jesus. He's the one that authors and finishes faith. Now some of your versions and mine in the New King James says... 
He is the author and finisher of our faith. The word our is not in the original text. I've crossed it out in my Bible. It isn't about just my faith. It's about faith of everyone. He is the author and he is the finisher of faith. He is our, he's more than inspiration, right? He is the, our volition. He is our motive and our motivation at the same time. He goes before us and says, now come, run. I ran first, you run. You can do it. Listen to the crowds. They're saying, please run. We need you to finish so we can all be made perfect together. This is, this is a, a, a lifting of a text out of context, but 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved, another therefore, so you'd have to read the whole chapter to find out what's there for. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What you do is important. How you live your life with Christ living out through you is important. It's a, a distinct advantage, even in a room this, this size, to be able to look into faces and go, my goodness, we are so varied. We are so different. And, and God has placed you in a circle of people. It's called an oikos. It's a group that you have influence in. That's a Greek word. I just wanted you to know I knew some Greek. I also know a little Russian. <laughs> it's not that important, but we all have a circle of influence that God has placed us in. And, and I'm always interested in when I look into somebody's face, I, go, what? I wonder what yours is like. Let's talk about what yours is like. Who's God using you to touch? Where is your life becoming fruitful? Uh, how's it going in there? Do you need some encouragement? Do you need some strength? Do you need some, uh, you know, some extra ammunition? And you want to go with you sometime and we'll do it together. I get excited about knowing that God has placed every one of us in the race, his race for us, and that we're running faithfully. We're running with endurance. And don't you ever give up. You just don't know about the next person and how important they are in the kingdom. You don't know if it's Sarah who says, well, okay, God, if you say I'm not too old for having babies, then let's have one. And then births an entire nation. <laughs> the Bible testifies more than the stars of the heavens, more than the sand on the, on the beach. That's a lot of kids. And they're still out there, right? They're still being born because she said yes. The story of Billy Graham is is a fascinating journey of who led who, who led who, who led who to the Lord. And I've forgotten all the names, but it's names like Kimball, who was a shoe salesman, who led somebody like Billy Sunday, the evangelist, to Jesus, who then led thousands to Christ, who led, who led, who led, and finally you get to Billy Graham. Why? Because a guy who was selling shoes back there said, I think you need the Lord. <laughs> I want to share my faith with you. I want to let Jesus live out through me. I'm going to run my race with endurance today. You might not want to hear me, but I need to share something with you. Or a more closely held story, and maybe you can help me with the names again. The folks that run the camp. Oh, uh, Pam, Pam and Rick. Pam and Rick. Who led a food inspector to the Lord a couple of years ago at their camp was one of the people who was killed at the Inland Regional Center. Now I'm smiling as I say that. I'm not laughing that anybody died. I mean, these were our friends. I, I, my, the pen I used to write my notes this morning says Inland Regional Center on it. I go there. We spend time there. They're our friends. And when that happened, it was... It was a panic for the list who, who had passed, who had been killed. But to be able to smile and go, now that food inspector went from being at a party to being with a party. 
and finding the end of her race. A little closer, more quickly than she imagined. Only a couple years old in the Lord. But thank God she was. Why? Well, because the camp director decided he needed to share Jesus with the food inspector. Which could have looked like a wrinkle in the fabric, don't you think? Like, well, they're in my kitchen. Maybe if I lead them to the Lord, it'll go better. It wasn't manipulative. It was honest and sincere. The Lord said, share. Okay, share. Shoe salesman, whatever race you're running, God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And I want to say thank you personally. And I've already picked on them already. So like Shan and Gudrun and Bev, I know. My race couldn't have been run without you. Ever. We don't stand alone. Who would faithfully stand in the gap and build up the hedge and pray for somebody else? And they prayed for you probably too. So you can thank them in the hallway. <laughs> what is it we're looking for? What is it we're holding fast for? What is it that the others who are cheering us on want to hear? I'm thinking I would never want to listen to me on tape or on video or whatever. I sniffle too much. I mean, every 10 seconds I'm sucking my nose up. I'll just read this. I won't tell you where it is so you can check your Facebook and look like it anyway. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. This is Jesus going away. Went to the cross, buried, resurrected, and on his way out he handed us the kingdom. As here's my goods. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Jesus is going to come back. Amen. He's coming. So when he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five. Look, I gained five more. His Lord said to him, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You know, joy only has three letters in English. But it's a sermon all by itself. Every one of us are born with a joy center in our brain and in our spirit. And the Bible says our spirit is dead in trespasses and sin, but we still have a joy center going on in our brain. God built it that way. And the only way to get joy fulfillment in your life is through relationship. Period. Doesn't come from stuff, doesn't come from things, can't come from the weather, can't come from a nice vacation, unless on that vacation you're with somebody and you're experiencing relationship. Joy comes from having a relationship with God himself. It's the fulfillment of coming into, I know you, you know me. Individually and, and intimately, we know each other and therefore we are friends. Being reconciled to God means, means being made friends again with God. Enter into the joy. Of the, your work is done. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. Complete, fulfilled one-on-one, -on -one, together forever relationship. That's what the cloud of witnesses are hoping we will finish our races so that when we're done, they can be complete with us and all of us forever enter into the joy of the Lord. Complete, fulfilled relationship with God. That's joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. We sang the song this morning that all the greater joy and blessing is for those who choose him now because everyone will have to acknowledge him sooner or later. Better to be joyful now. He will separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand with the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. But that's what I'm running for. I don't want to grow weary. I don't want to give up. Some of you have had harder runs than others. And some of our running is ahead of us and will contain hardship, sorrow, loss. That's why it says run with endurance. And I still think we could run better if we run together. I wish, you know, the moment strikes me in a finish with the video that I don't have ready. So I'll just describe it. You've probably seen it. I know Marissa's quick enough. She'd probably have it up on YouTube before I got done talking about it. But I won't demand that of her. But it's a Special Olympics video. And the kids all line up and they start running. You know, and they take off and they're wobbling and they're wiggling and they're doing their very best. And everybody's cheering and cheering and cheering them on. And then, you know, some are getting out in the lead and boom, one goes down. And the cinders. And the rest of them stop. And go back. And pick them up. Say let's run together. And they all finish. Together. See that's not what our culture teaches us. Our culture says. Got the advantage. Keep running. Leave them in the dirt. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's turned into do unto others and then split. Take advantage. Step on them. Get up higher. That's not loving God with all your soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others as yourself. Those kids in their simplicity and what we might consider their malformation or their retardation stop the whole world and make every one of us cry because we see the altruism of love. Saying, well, I'm not going to finish. If you can't finish, let me pick you up and let's go together. It isn't about winning alone. It's about winning together. So we finished another good year. And some of us, hey, I'll include myself on the, on the young side of old. Or the old side of young. How's that? Some of us are going to pass the baton not far from now. I don't want to pass it while I'm laying on a gurney, Okay. I want to pass it while I'm still running. That's how it works. I'm running. Every one of us is running a race. We need to find somebody to pass this thing to. Every generation needs to pass it to the next. Every generation needs to empower the next generation to live and run by faith. So if you say, well, I'm close to the end of my race, don't give up yet. You make sure somebody's got their hand on the end of your baton before you let go of it. And if not... If you don't have anybody, get somebody. That's why running the race together is better. And that's what I like about life groups and being in life groups, hanging out together and toughing out life together. Small units that can encourage and pray for one another, actually know each other, not just be distant and lost in the crowd. Okay? I'm glad I preached this message this morning because it's not the one I have in my notes. So if I get to come back again someday, I'll try the other one. (laughs) And uh, maybe that'll be helpful too. I hope this has been helpful this morning. It's been helpful for me to acknowledge that the race is still on. And I want to run. I don't want to cripple my way out. I want to run. Amen? I want to be faithful. I want you to be faithful. I want us to live by faith, the faith of the Son of God. Not mine, his. His faith, his race, my body, my soul, my spirit, surrendered 
Say, God, you win through me. And then he gets all the glory. But I'm going to get eternity. <laughs> he can have the glory. I just want to live there with him. Where the sun doesn't have to shine. And he is the light of everything. You know, how many of you science guys, huh? you know, if we light this candle, I didn't know this all my life. I love learning new things. If I light this candle and hold it up against the wall and put a flashlight on it, that you'll get a shadow of the candle and the wick, but there won't be a shadow for the light. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Try this at home. Don't burn your house down. <laughs> I just never knew that. I mean, how did I get through science class without knowing that? I mean, it just fascinates me that you could do that. And, you, know, you see the shadow of the hand, but right there where the flame is, you won't see anything because light has no shadow. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I just like that stuff. Lord Jesus, you're the light of the world and you have no shadow. Your word, I see it more clearly now even, says that in you there is no shadow of turning. You are everywhere at once. And you are light. And you provide for us a clear path. Through your word, you said that it would be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. We would have general illumination from your word for the race we're running and you would give us specific lamp lighting at our feet so we could see the very next step to take. Teach us your word. Help us walk in your ways. God, I pray that you will help us discover the sins and the weights that are so easily keeping us from winning our race. Help us. Empower us, strengthen us with your belief, your faith, to set those things aside and to count them as unnecessary in the running and completion of the race you have set before us. Lord, we want to finish. We want to be cheered on. We want to cheer others on. We want you to receive the glory. We want to see souls in your kingdom, the reward of your suffering, come to you. In these last days, in Jesus' name, amen.